0: We are talking about heaven this morning, so this is going to be a lot of fun. We're in a series that we're looking at the I Am statements in the Gospel of John, and sort of two reasons we're doing it. One is um, so that we can get more and more of an understanding of who God and Jesus Christ is. I remember when I was a kid, my mom made me a blanket, and it had my initials on it, and then in all these little quadrants on this huge blanket were the things that I love. She tried to describe me on a blanket, so there was... Uh, baseball, a football, there was a baritone. Yes, Heather, I played the baritone. Um, No pressure at all. Uh, It's just had all these different things that describe who I am, And, and the I am statements in the gospel are a little bit of that. Each one gives us an image into who God is. So we looked at I am the light of the world, I am the bread of life. Last week, I am the good shepherd, I am the gate. And all of those are very different aspects to who God is, but we need all of them to begin to get more and more of an understanding of who this God is. The second part is, one of the things that we believe here at CPC is we believe that all of this book, the Bible, is God-breathed. That it is our primary voice for all that we do in faith and practice. But I don't know about you, when there are statements in here that not are only in red letter, but it's Jesus, it's God saying something about himself... You, your ears sort of perk up a little bit more, right? It's like, that, that must be really, really important. And the way it's phrased, I, I, if you've been around, you've got this. The way it's phrased in the Greek, it says, I, I am. It's this redundancy meant to emphasize importance. And not only to say, I, I am, out of importance, but it brings us back to the Old Testament. And it's God, it's Jesus claiming to the divinity. And these are huge statements we've seen time and time again. After he makes one of these statements, what do they want to do? Kill him. And we're going to see the same thing again this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to John 11. Uh, If you don't have your Bibles, grab a pew Bible in front of you. Not all of the passage is going to be up on the screen. Page 1598 in the pew Bible. Let me start with this question. When you think of heaven, what goes on in your mind? Because we, we, we all have sort of the, these perceptions, ideas of what heaven is. What we think it to be. I grew up, and in Sunday school, we would sing this song, Somewhere in Outer Space, God Has Prepared a... Did anybody else sing that? Maybe it was my little Baptist church growing up. But somewhere, so your mind starts painting this picture of something out there. Streets of gold. Um, I'm a big golfer, so in heaven I must shoot three under par every round, Right? You start to dream about like what this ethereal reality out there is all about, and I think for a lot of us that's heaven. It's a cloud. It's angels. It's you're with God. But it's interesting in John 11, this statement, "I am the resurrection and the life." We get a very different understanding of what heaven is all about, All about. So let's go to John 11. We don't have time to go through this long chapter, which is one whole story, but let's pick it up at verse 1, and then uh, we'll read a few verses, and then jump down to verse 17. Verse 1 says this, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. Now listen, listen to how this goes. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Jesus loved these three a lot. Pay attention to the next verse. Remember, Lazarus is very, very sick. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was for two more days. Isn't that interesting? He gets word that Lazarus, someone he loves dearly, is sick. And he decides instead of going straight there, what does he do? He just, he stays put. Keep, keep that in mind. We're going to come back to that as we go on. So that, that's how the story goes. He's interacting with his disciples and, and sort of realizes that Lazarus is actually dead. Go to verse 17. It says this. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Basically, to raise the point, he's dead for sure. There's no question about what is going on here. Lazarus is gone. Four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But now, but I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. This woman has amazing faith. Jesus said to her, your, bro- your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So that she doesn't get what he just said. Jesus is predicting the miracle he's going to do immediately. She looks and says, hey, I I believe there's a future resurrection out there. I, I get he's dead and will live once again. And then Jesus says in verse 25, this is our verse. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you really believe this? Those verses are so powerful. I am the resurrection, the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even though they die. It means death doesn't get the final word in God's story. And whoever lives by believing in me will, ne- will uh, never die. Do you believe this? The story here is Jesus is interacting with religious leaders. And the Sadducees, sort of the conservative religious leaders of the day, they didn't believe in a resurrection. An ultimate resurrection when things would be made right. So when Jesus uses this language, he's speaking heresy, he's not only claiming to be God by saying, I I am. He's saying, I am the resurrection, I am the life. Those that believe in me will not die. And the crazy thing that's happening here that happens ultimately at the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that the realities of heaven are now invading the realities of earth because the resurrection has happened. This literal bodily resurrection of Lazarus points to life, to God, through Jesus. Something invading the realities of earth. It's what we pray every week. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. Because life has entered in. Things have now changed. This truth changes the way we live. As I was sitting with this story, it's, it's a tough one to sort of put our minds around. Like Jesus raised someone from the dead. We know it, right? In fact, I just picked up a pew Bible here and it, it had been marked up. We, we probably preach this story every couple of years around CPC because it's so important. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The resurrection that happened here that points towards the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what does that mean? 2,000 years on the other side of a story where Jesus raises someone from the dead. What does it mean to us? As people who say words like, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The resurrection life has come through Jesus Christ. We have access to that reality now. I think sort of two big things I want us to walk away with this morning. One, and it it sort of bleeds through this whole story, but it's this idea that faith is at the core of the story. Time and time again, it's about belief. Look at verse 15. Verse 14, So then he told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. They thought he was just sleeping, the disciples did. And for your sake I am glad. That's a weird statement. I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. Look at verses 45 and 48. It says this, Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus when they saw this happen, but some went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the leading priests and Pharisees called the high council together. What are we going to do? They asked each other. This man certainly performs many miraculous signs. If we allow him to go on like this, soon everyone will believe him. At the core of this story, at the core of all the stories, at the end of John, John chapter 20, verse 31, the author, John, sums up his whole gospel and he says, I have written these things so that you might believe. Trust, confidence in Jesus Christ is at the core of the story. I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me. Belief in the one who claims to be the life, the resurrection, the one who is bringing heaven to earth. Tim Keller tells this great story. He says a minister was in Italy and there he saw the grave of a man who had died centuries before was an unbeliever and completely against Christianity, but a little afraid of it too. So the man had a huge stone slab put over his grave so he would not have to be raised from the dead in case there was a resurrection from the dead. He had insignias put all over the slab saying, I do not want to be raised from the dead. I don't believe in it. Evidently, when he was buried, an acorn must have fallen in the grave. So a hundred years later, the acorn had grown up through the grave and split the slab. It was now a tall, towering oak tree. The minister looked at it and asked, if an acorn which has the power of biological life in it can split a slab of that magnitude, what can the acorn of God's resurrection do in a person's life? That's the type of faith this is talking about.
1: Keller goes on to
0: say this, it should be on the screen. The minute you decide to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It's the power of the resurrection. The same thing that raised Jesus from the dead. Think of the things you see as movable slabs in your life. Your bitterness, your insecurity, your fears, your doubts. Those things can be split and rolled off. The more you know Him, the more you grow in the power of the resurrection. You read a story like this. And the first question you ask is. What does it do to the belief I have. In this Jesus. Does the resurrection. Truly roll those things away. Out of our lives. It's an invitation to faith. To trust. Second thing that I think this story does. That is so important. And that's where we talk about heaven. How we view heaven affects how we live today. What we think the future life to be affects who I am and how I live today. If my view of heaven is simply I get there, I go somewhere, it's about this this sort of I die, I go onto the cloud, affects sort of how I treat the current reality in which I live. Or do we have a more biblical understanding of it? That heaven is actually coming to earth. That as Revelation describes this new Jerusalem coming down. The new heavens, the new earth come. And this is recreated, restored, made right. That's heaven. And I think we can do a couple of things from this story to lean into the realities of heaven becoming more and more true on earth. It's so intriguing in the story. I think part of it is we have to move from this if only to what now. Both of the sisters, Mary and Martha, when they see Jesus, their first statement, I think it's completely fair, their first statement to Jesus is like, if only you had been here. If only you had been here, he wouldn't be dead. Don't we play that game so often? When life doesn't go the way we want, it's that if only, if only God had done this. And I think that's the wrong place to put our perspective. I think the reality is what now? Not if only, what now? Heaven is coming to earth. Heaven and hell are realities in the here and now, and they're realities in the future. There's with God, there's apart from God. That's true here on earth. We see hell around us every day, don't we? But we also see the goodness of God where God's will is right around us all the time. What now changes our perspective? You ever thought about John 3.16? For God so loved the world, we all know it, it's going to be held up at football games today. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but what? Have Present tense verb. That we can have now the realities of the best in the future. When this is restored and made right, that reality is moving towards invading the current place in which we live. From if only to what now. I think if only bleeds into our doubt, our fear, our questions. What now says God is at work what can we do about it? I think the second thing, we, we, we need to sort of get our minds around. This one is so hard and you, as you read the passage, but I think we need to trust the timing of God. If heaven is invading earth because of the resurrection, because of life, part of it is we have to trust the timing of God. Verse 6 blows me away. I, I had to pause a few times through the week as I read it. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed for two more days. It's, in our minds, it, your buddy's sick, you have the power to do something about it. We know he ultimately does, but like, why not just get on your horse, your pony, whatever it is, and get there as quickly as possible? It does not make sense. What do we miss when we consistently question the timing of God? Heaven and hell are reality now, they're reality in the future. But God's will is not completely made right right now, is it? There's death, there's pain, there's heartache, there's tears. We see them all around us. And when we miss out on trusting the timing of God because we're questioning things all the time, I think we miss something. I think in this passage, they would have missed seeing... I mean, The verse that, that we quote all the time, verse 35, two words... Jesus wept. They would have missed seeing a God who weeps with people in pain. What happens when we trust the timing of God, even when it makes no sense? We had a crew from our student ministries and table team that went down to Atlanta a couple weeks ago for this conference called Catalyst. And there was this guy named Jeffrey Canada. And Jeffrey Canada, about 30 years ago, moved into after he graduated from school, went to, moved into Harlem, grew up in Brooklyn, moved into Harlem. And he looked at one city block and said, I am going to change that block. I'm going to help kids get a chance. And all he said, I'm just doing one block. I, I, that's, that's what I believe I can do. And it was so amazing to hear this guy talk about, I focused on one block They did it. They had a plan. That's now 99 blocks in Harlem. I think sometimes when we don't see the timing of what God wants to do through us, when we look at the 99 instead of the 1, we miss out on some of what God wants to do through us in bringing heaven to earth. The last thing is this. When we think about our view of eternity affecting the way we live, we need to have a view of eternity. Maybe a better way to put it is we need to imagine what eternity could actually be like. To dream about heaven. To move away from the old paradigm somewhere in outer space God has prepared a place. It's such a bad song. But on some level we've bought into it. Isaiah sixty-five seventeen says this. Look, I am creating new heavens and a new earth. And no one will ever think about the old ones anymore. God's future plan is not to destroy the earth in which we live. God's plan is now and in the future to make it more and more and more right. And the best way, the majority way of which that happens is through God's people getting an idea of what heaven is like, and making that more and more true around them. Revelation twenty-one one through five says this: the end of the Bible. I saw heaven and earth new created. You could put in there made right again. I saw heaven and earth new created. Gone the first heaven. Gone the first earth. Gone the sea. In the Bible, the sea had this this, this sort of a t- Idea of evil. That's where evil dwelled. Gone the sea. I saw holy Jerusalem, new created, descending resplendent out of heaven. As ready for God as a bride for a husband. I heard a voice of thunder from the throne saying, Look, look, God has moved into the neighborhood. Exact same language as in John 1. When Jesus comes to earth, the incarnation. Making his home with men and women. Now listen to this. This is where we start to dream. They're his people. He's their God. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Death is gone for good. Tears gone, crying gone, pain gone. All the order, all the first order of things gone. The enthroned continued Look, I am making everything new. Write it all down, each word dependable and accurate. If Jesus is the resurrection and the life, We are called to dream about the reality of the future heaven and start living into it now. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Here's one I I want to ask, not invite you, I want to ask you to do this for the week. Revelation 21, 1 through 5, I want to encourage you to read it to start each day. This is in the message form. I would encourage you to read it in a couple of different translations. But read Revelation 21, 1 through 5. And I want you to do this. Look at those words. Tears, death, crying, pain. Where are the places in your life where you see that as true? Where are their tears? Where are their pain? One of of the most profound places... That I've seen heaven meeting earth. It wasn't some glorious thing in Africa going on. It was actually a couple years ago. My wife and I are sitting at our our first daughter, Genesis, her uh, kindergarten graduation. In this packed little choir room, you know, four or five kindergarten classes up there. You're like, can this get over? Can this get over? And Genesis is standing on the little riser right next to a boy with pretty severe autism. And the teacher is on the side trying to get this boy to pay attention, trying to sort of get his attention. He's moving all around. He's sort of causing a ruckus. And this little five-year-old Genesis takes a little boy's hand and for the next 30 minutes just holds it. Leads him around, walks him around. And you could see some sense of peace just sort of pour, pour over him. He started singing. He started saying the words that they were doing. That's heaven meeting earth, friends. It doesn't have to be something big. Sometimes it is. It's two girls from CPC going to Africa and seeing kids that weren't going to have a meal. And they said, we're going to do something about it. We're going to start Feed Zambia so kids can have food. It's Jeffrey Canada going to Harlem and saying, I'm going to change a block. And God says, fine, change a block, but I'm going to give you 99 because you're faithful, you're good. Where in your life Where in your sphere of influence do you see tears, death, crying, and pain? A few years ago there was that Christian song, I can only imagine what it will be like. My prayer for you is this week to begin to imagine heaven. When things are right and what God wants to do through you, is exactly what Jesus said to his disciples. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. Jesus, Lord, I pray that you would take your word and make it true in our lives, God. Lord, as a community, I pray this week we would dream of heaven crashing into earth, just like when Lazarus rose from the dead. And God, that you would use this community of people to do that. In small ways, in big ways. But all in ways that breathe out the resurrection power that is in all of us who believe in you. We pray this in your name. Amen.